Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. From St. Matthew, the second chapter, we hear that when the wise men had departed, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, Rise, and take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And then Herod sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Dear friends in Christ, I think that you can well imagine the scene that day. The thunder of hooves beating steadily upon the terrain. Blasts of breath in the cold morning air from the nostrils of galloping horses being driven, horses being driven to a task far beneath their dignity and against their natural desire. The sound of steely swords being drawn from their sheaths as riders ride and final instructions being barked out (coughs) to ensure that the blade escapes no one for whom it's intended. The screams of startled mothers trigger the cries of sons and daughters. Fathers fight with all their might, but they're overcome. The boys of Bethlehem fall silent. And just as quickly and just as heartlessly as it came, the persecution of the Christ leaves. I imagine that's how it may have sounded that day. But that's not always how it sounds, though. That's not always how it sounds, and that's not always how it looks when men try to stamp out the Word of God in their midst. It was just a few days ago that we were here to celebrate the Word of God made flesh come to dwell in our midst. But already here we are this morning, just a few days removed from that. Already here we are noting man's natural non-appreciation for him. But you know, it's just that fast that Matthew in his gospel moves from the birth of Christ to the adoration of the wise men and then straight on to the pursuit and the persecution of the word in the flesh. And frankly, it's just that fast that the world moves on too. By sunrise on December 26th, whatever radio stations had been bold enough to play those traditional rich with Christ Christmas carols, really those sung confessions of of God and sinners reconciled because nails and, and, and spear did pierce him through as the cross was born for me and you. Already by the 26th, the morning of the 26th, all of these two had been silenced. The world had quickly moved on. It had given Christ and Christianity its day, its token unopposed day. But that's all done now. And now quickly the world is back to business as usual. But as I said, business as usual doesn't always sound like it did that day at Bethlehem. No, often as the world tries to eradicate the word in its midst, so often it's far more subtle than the sound of steely swords and and the screams of mothers and children. Sometimes it's the sound of debate in the halls of legislatures and the sound of the gavel as legislation passes making some form of the clear confession of the word in the flesh into a hate crime or into a crime of discrimination. And that too is what the pursuit of the Christ child so often sounds like. And if not in political theaters, then perhaps in movie theaters where the world would seek to stamp out the Christ in our midst by movies, movies attractive 
to the eyes and to the ears of our young ones, but movies with subversive themes that would bring about the death of God in the minds of his children. And that, too, is what the pursuit of the Christ child so often sounds like in our day. Soon, students will return from their vacation and once again fill the lecture halls and the school classrooms. And then you'll hear the stealthy persecution of the word among us and the sound of some university professors and school teachers drawing their academic weapons and seeking to cut down anything that resembles the Christ. Students will be marked as probable Christians. It won't be red blood that flows, but maybe red ink when grades are given and have been affected by the knowledge that this young man or this young woman obviously bears Christ in his or her heart, and you can tell it by the way that he or she confidently bears Christ in his or her life. And that's what the pursuit and the persecution of the Christ child so often sounds like and looks like in our day. Parents knowing the silent onslaught that our children face daily when daily their Christian identity is challenged by those who are certainly well-armed for the fight, Certainly we would and certainly we do. Like those fathers and mothers of Bethlehem, we defend our own with all of our might. And how do we do it? We do it by teaching them. Teaching them daily how to use the word to defend themselves and how to draw strength from that word in the heat of of persecution and in life's battle. So you see, not always loud and with the sound of steel, but far more often than not quiet and subtle. That's what it so often sounds like when the world seeks to stamp out the word in our midst. And these things we expect, perhaps, from the world. For the world, and I'm speaking, of course, of the world in the biblical sense, the world has never been a friend of the word. The world has never longed to cradle that infant king in her arms. But like Herod, it finds no room for any other king. And isn't that why? Isn't that precisely why so little room is found for the Christ in this world? Isn't it because we all want to be the kings of our own kingdom? Two kings? That makes for one crowded kingdom. Two kings can't share one throne. Herod, he wouldn't have it. The world won't have it. It will not abdicate its own personal prominence to some manger-born prince. It will not fall prostrate and bow down in life and in laud to that baby boy of Bethlehem. And this we'd expect of the world. But it's true of us too, isn't it? As soon as the word is born in us already, that sinful self inside of us is trying to stamp him out, is trying to eradicate him, is trying to depose him or dethrone him from reigning there. And why? It's for the same reason the world does, because two kings make for a crowded kingdom. The word made flesh upon the throne of our hearts, that threatens our jurisdiction. So says our sinful self. Now likely sin's natural attempt to depose him won't be as bold and as obvious as Herod's. 
Maybe the minutes will quietly move in upon the Christ so that we find less and less time to come and adore him like the wise men did. Maybe all the things to do in life or in the week will so swarm around us that we don't ever look up to notice the star that's guiding us to the word and to his sacraments. Those word and sacraments wherein these days, in these days, that's where the Christ child of the cradle and the cross is to be found. Maybe we marginalize the Christ. Maybe we marginalize him in our lives because to magnify him would so upset the balance, that delicate balance that, that we've established in our own kingdom. And worst of all, maybe, maybe we have or even now are, in the, are, are unwittingly dismissing the Christ as unimportant to us and unimportant for us. And indeed, this is worst of all. For even Herod, even Herod knew how important the Christ child was. These are the subtle and sometimes the not so subtle sounds of the pursuit and the persecution of the word made flesh in our midst. It troubles many why the Christ of the cradle would allow that bloodbath at Bethlehem or why today he permits other such persecutions from the world in our flesh. After all, almighty as he is, even as a cooing infant or toddler on the lap of Joseph, almighty as he is, why did he not then rise up? Rise up like in days of old and destroy the persecutors. Why did he not, like we heard in the Old Testament reading today, why did he not rise up with his strong arm? Certainly, if the I am can wipe out Pharaoh and all of his hosts, certainly he could easily deal with a small band of Soldiers in Herod's death squad, taking aim at an even more helpless lot of infantile victims. Why did he not rise up? Why does he not rise up and wipe them out? Why? It's because the word made flesh has not come and does not come by force. He does not come by force, but by gentle grace. In fact, he's full of grace. Remember our Christmas Day gospel reading? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Full of the gentleness of God's favor, even, even for the Herods of, of this world, even for the Herod in each one of us. He was born into this world a king. And those wise men, they recognized him as such. Wise men do. But he came as a king over a kingdom of grace, not to exhibit his almighty power. Never by force, but always by the gentle good news of God's favor for us in the gift of his beloved son. Always this king of grace draws people, draws people into his kingdom of grace by his gentle grace and good news. You see, it's like the attractive allure of that star that drew the wise men, the, the magi from afar. So also the pleasing allure and the pleasing pull of Christ and his cross still draws by grace, but it never takes by force. In fact, remember 
Remember what that grown Christ child said as he stood, bloodied and beaten before Pilate, the the procurator. He said to him, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight for me. He could have called down, friends, he could have called down 12 legions of angels. But he had a more loving war to wage. He had a life to give on the altar of the cross. He had sins to atone for. He had forgiveness to win. Forgiveness to win for those soldiers. Those soldiers who rode home from Bethlehem that day and were sick with remorse over what they'd done. He had forgiveness to secure and win for you too. As in life, you recall with repentant remorse the sins you so wish that you could take back again. He had forgiveness to win even for Herod. And for all the others, too, the many others who yet refuse his grace and his forgiving favor. He could have used force, I suppose, but he's chosen to use grace. And that means that he permits the world to persecute him. And therefore, he permits also the world to persecute the members of his body, the church. And so we as the church, we can expect it, for the Christ child has permitted it. But we also do well to remember what the 16th century Christian Theodore Beza did say. What he said to King Henry of Navarre regarding the persecution of, per, persecution of the church, he said to him, Sire, it is truly the lot of the church of God to endure blows and not to strike them. But may it please you to remember that this church is an anvil which has worn out many hammers. And he's right, isn't he? He's right. For isn't it of the very highest irony that what Herod, the enemy of the word, tried so hard to suppress and stamp out that day, that very thing the church has been noting for 2,000 years now. For 2,000 years as we pause in these days after Christmas to remember those sweet flowerets of the martyr band and how they were massacred. For 2,000 years, rushing in, rushing in to fill the void left by their silenced infant voices, rushing in to fill the void is the confession of that Christ child that Herod so tried to stamp out. You see, it will not be silenced because he will not be silenced. And you know, every situation in life that leaves us like those mothers and fathers of Bethlehem on our knees asking why, Lord? Why did you permit such a thing? Each one is our occasion too for the confession of the Christ child. Each one is permitted by our loving Lord. And in each one we see him exhibit his strength in our times of weakness. Friends, he will work all things together 
He will work all things together for the good of those whom he's called according to his design. Even perhaps, like it was for those parents of Bethlehem, even when it doesn't seem he will, he will. I was reminded of this this last week when my wife and I were trying to assemble one of my son's Christmas presents. It was a, a Pirates of the Caribbean ship deck, complete with a sail and twin cannons, a steering wheel. There were 12 pages of instructions and no fewer than 44 screws to find places for. And many times throughout, we'd stop and we'd look at those instructions and we'd scratch our heads and we'd wonder to ourselves, why? Why does this piece go here? How come that one goes there? Because in the midst of the process, none of it seemed like it was going to fit together. But faithfully, we pressed on, trusting Trusting that the one who wrote the instructions and wrote the plans knew how things were going to turn out. And that they would turn out for the best. And after much perplexity, and 44 screws later, it all came together just as it was designed. Where the word made flesh is persecuted in our midst. There we pause, and there we note and we remember the gentle and the loving grace of God packaged in Christ, his Son. His Son who will not be silenced, but having risen, lives, yet lives to speak God's grace and his comfort to us, his beloved saints, in all of life's warfare. And so, my friends, now we rise and we sing together our post-sermon hymn from the bulletin, By All Your Saints in Warfare.